Matthew chapter 9, for those that have got a Bible, and I'm going to read from verse 9 to verse 13. This is what it says. Is that working? Yeah. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as Jesus reclined at table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. It's a great passage, and you'll see that it's sandwiched in between a couple of miracles. Last week, um, although it doesn't go into great detail in Matthew, it was the story of the man who is lowered down through the roof by his mates, and Jesus says, because of your faith, I'm going to heal him, and Sam spoke on that. And then the next story, which is coming up, if we're reading ahead, is again a couple of miracles. There's a girl who's dead who Jesus brings back to life and a woman who's been bleeding for many years and Jesus heals her. I've kind of ruined the story for next, year, next week there. But it's sandwiched in between these two miracles is a bit of text on discipleship, a bit of text on, well, what does it mean to follow me? What does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus and follow him today? And so I've got three really straightforward points, I hope and pray, based on this passage that we'll just kind of rifle through. And I pray they'd be helpful for us this morning and thinking about if we're a Christian this morning and thinking about, well, what do we need to do? What do we need to engage with? If we're not a Christian this morning, then what do I need to do about that as well? So starting in the text, verse nine, it says, as Jesus passed on from there, so where he'd healed the bloke, because it's the story continues. He saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth and he said to him, follow me. Jesus is walking about. He's not in his kind of formal, uh, you know, he's not in the formal synagogue at the moment. He's not doing Bible lessons, but he's just wandering around from place to place. And he sees Matthew in his booth at the side of the road. And there's this um, TV program, which is actually pretty good for kind of Christian TV program called The Bible. And uh, Grace reminded me of this scene in this where actually Matthew, they show this scene where Matthew's in his tax collector's booth. And um, all the Pharisees and religious leaders who just read about them are all there. And they're all demanding Jesus' attention. They're all saying, look at me, look at me. I'm a great scribe. I'm really religious. I can do this. I can do that. I've got a theology degree. You haven't. And Jesus wanders over to Matthew, who's the tax collector, who's the scum of that society, really, they would hate him. And yet he rocks up to Matthew and he says, follow me. Jesus here is a, it's a, a really tangible example of Jesus going head on into the culture, head on into the world and showing his grace and mercy. He's not caught up in tradition. He's not caught up in organized church activity, which is great. Instead, he's just out in the world. He's out meeting people where they're at. And Jesus doesn't talk to the religious leaders, but he talks to a tax collector or a sinner. We read them described uh, later, the Pharisees say, Jesus, why are you eating with the tax collectors and sinners? And it's, I always, when I read that, always in my mind at least, it's in a really slimy voice. It, I, I remember speaking in, I think it was in Montenegro last year, and I described it as almost the people would say they're really sweaty sinners. 
that the people that nobody wants to touch and go near. Why are you having dinner with those people, Jesus? Why are you hanging out with Matthew, the tax collector? The thing is, we need to, this morning, hear our own voice and the voice of the Pharisee sometimes. And we need to kind of step back and go, okay, what's Jesus doing? What's he saying? Matthew, I've already said, will be hated by the Jewish people. He is a Jew. His gospel is written to the Jews. He's a Jewish guy. He knows the law. Um, Yet, he's a traitor to his own country. He's collecting taxes from the Jewish people for the opposing Roman authority. He's not going to be popular, is he? And more than that, most tax collectors, 99.9% of them would be crooked because most of the money that they would collect would go straight to Rome. They're not going to get very much, so they would add, they would overtax people. So if they put a little bit on top, they could skim it off and no one would know any better. So not only was he Jewish and he betrayed his own country, but he's ripping off his own people as well. You can see why people didn't like tax collectors. Right? I mean, people don't like tax collectors today, do they? And you're like, oh, how much tax am I paying? Or, oh, I've been... The only time we ever like tax is if we get a reimbursement. And then we're like, come on. Somehow we think that's great. <laughs> but most of the time, we don't like tax collectors. And um, we, we read later that there's a bit of a party that happens, that Matthew invites all these tax collector buddies over... Unless you're an accountant, it sounds like a miserable party. But that's what happens in the story. All these sinners and tax collectors, and basically all the people that the religious institution hate, Jesus is with those guys. Jesus is hanging out with them. Matthew also would be unclean in the eyes uh, of the law because of what he's been doing, because of his sin. And so there's all sorts of things going on in the minds of the Pharisees and the religious leaders. They, they're not short of reasons to not like this guy. And that's important. And that's almost why one of the reasons that Jesus approaches Matthew. Matthew is the guy that if you saw him come in, you would cross over to the other side of the road. You would avoid making eye contact with You know, if someone's trying to sell you something, you avoid making eye contact with them, don't you? If you make eye contact with them, you're done. But if you avoid making eye contact with them, you're fine. And you can just imagine them, oh, we'll just avoid Matthew and his type of person. And I want you to see this. Matthew is not looking for God. I think that's really important. Matthew is sat on his bum collecting taxes. But God was looking for Matthew. Most of us, if we're honest, haven't been looking for God at one time or another. Maybe we are now, but God looked for us in the person of Jesus. And that's what happens here. Jesus goes to Matthew. He calls him and says, Matthew, follow me. And for Matthew to follow Jesus wasn't a simple decision. Although reading the scripture, you'd think, wow, he just does it straight away. There's no internal dialogue. He doesn't go home and say, I'm going to pray about it. Often we use that as an excuse, guys, don't we? Someone asks you to do something, I'll go and pray about it. Sometimes, let's just say yes. If it's good, if it's for the kingdom of God, let's just throw ourselves into it. Because sometimes we just use that as a bit of an excuse. I get here, Matthew just goes, all right, I'll follow you. So what does that mean for Matthew? It means a change of job, really. (laughs) Can't carry on doing what he's doing, can he? Ripping people off, it would mean probably alienating themselves from his friends, if he's got any. 
because he's a tax collector, probably his tax collecting buddies, because they probably gather together to talk about how much they've ripped off people. It would mean his earnings, his power, his authority, his status with Rome, all gone in an instant. But we read Matthew just goes, okay, I'll go. But also it means the transformation of his heart, that he's got to change his attitude towards people. The way he lives his life will be completely different. The second half of verse 9, just read it. He rose and followed him. That's it. Just like that, he follows Jesus. Jesus is the leader. Matthew is the follower. That's how it works. This church, Jesus is the leader. We're all those that are following. Christ is the one who's in charge of his church. And my, my first point here is really simple. And it might seem like, oh, well, that's really obvious. But it's that we've got to follow Jesus. And it's not something that we um, work, you know, we have to earn and strive for. But rather, Jesus came into the world for us. And the invitation from him towards all of us is, follow me. Discipleship is to be a disciple of Jesus, is to follow Jesus, is to love Jesus, is to bless him, is to uh, live like he lived, to love his word, to base our life upon it to pray, to seek after him. And I suppose the question is, are we following Jesus? Now, you will know the answer to that yourself this morning. You'll know if you're following Christ or not. You'll know the last time you opened his word that he would speak to you. You'll know the last time you prayed that you would speak to him, that you would hear that voice. They're the marks of people that are following after Christ. Perhaps we would say we're a follower of Jesus, but really it's all a bit of a mask it's something that we kind of put on on Sundays we do it. Maybe church faith is a bit of an extra that we put on on a Sunday and we put away Monday to Friday. That was my story. I was two people. I was Dan, the really uh, sweet, can you believe, lovely, kind, uh, any other nice things you can think of. That was me on Sundays. The rest of the time, I was, well, probably what you know me to be, to be honest. <laughs> Um, there's no masks here, that's okay. Um, but I was living a double life. A mask on a Sunday that said, oh yes, I love the Lord, but on Monday morning I don't. Oh, I read my Bible on a Sunday. Because that's what you do, you open it up. But the rest of the week, it's just gathering dust on my shelf. That's not what following Jesus looks like. It's not something that we switch on and switch off. Matthew gave up everything to follow Christ. Because Christ had invited him to. And the, actually, that invitation from Christ is for all of us this morning. He actually says, follow me. And it might be costly. It might cost us the things that we do or the, the people that we, that, that we know. But actually, we, it's something really important. Just obviously in the last 10 days, we've been out in southwest Tanzania, and, or Tanzania, sorry. And these pastors that we've been spending our time with, like, work incredibly long hours, Probably longer than hours than everybody here, just so you've got that in the back of your mind. Um, and then they pass the churches and they lead churches and they do all this other stuff. And yet we kind of go, oh, I don't have time to pick up the word. Oh, I don't have time to pray. Oh, I don't have time to serve in this way or that. We do have time. We're just choosing what to prioritize. And I think discipleship is choosing to say, actually, I'm putting my relationship with God above everything else. I'm choosing to follow. And by following, I'm going to go all in. I'm not just going to kind of stick my left leg in and my left leg out. You know, I'm going to go all in. 
And what we see here is to follow Christ is to follow him with everything that we are. And we know if we have, uh, we're following Jesus well if we have a personal relationship with him. If we're hearing from him through his word, if we're following after him, if we're filled with God the Holy Spirit, if we're, if we're each and every day striving to know him more, that we'd be more and more like Christ in the spheres that we move in. That actually we're starting to influence the people that we're in and around for the gospel. That's when we know we're following Christ. And the invitation is there for us all because actually we all go through these moments where actually we're not doing that so well. And we can recalibrate, which is a part of being here on a Sunday, is recalibrating our lives upon God's word. For some of us, and this is sad and it pains me to say this, this is the only time we're going to hear the word of God this week. In a week of however many hours, half an hour. If we're claiming to follow Christ, that's something we've got to put right. That's something we've got to get into the word of God. We've got to get into what is he saying to us today? How is he speaking to us? Let's get into the narrative and the story of God, of who he is and what he's done for us. Behold his glory in the scriptures. It's a way of just keeping us on that straight and that narrow path because without it, we just drift, don't we? And we don't mean to drift and we don't want to drift, but we just do. We just do. The second really important thing I see here about discipleship is first is we've got to follow him. Second is we're created for community. That's what we're created for. In Genesis, we read these amazing verses, don't we? We're told as we read through scripture that we're image bearers, that we're created in the image of God. It doesn't mean that we look like God. You know, you have that picture of long hair and a beard. It doesn't mean we have to look like that, but it means in how we relate that God eternally has related as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit that he's a relational God, that we are created in his image to relate to one another. You know, there's people that say, I'm a Christian, but I don't go to church. It's nonsense. I'm happy to put myself a neck on the line there. So it's absolute nonsense. I don't think it's possible. Sure, you can say the things, but we are created for community. We need one another. Here, Matthew isn't just called and left by himself, he joins a band of other blokes, the disciples, in following after Jesus. And straight away we read something that's remarkable, I think. Look at this in verse 10. Matthew has followed Jesus. That's, that's what we've read. Jesus has gone up to him and said, Matthew, follow me. And Matthew's gone. All right. Next thing we read. This is the very next thing we read. As Jesus reclined at a table in the house. Whose house? Whose house do you think Jesus is in? It's not Jesus' house. Matthew's house. So we're in Matthew's house now in the very next verse. Many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. You can almost picture it, can't you? I think it's kind of funny. Jesus says, Matthew, follow me. Matthew goes, okay, mate, I'll come. Where are we going? Your house. Oh, are you sure, Jesus? I haven't cleaned up. Um, I'm not used to hosting people, actually. Don't know if you know, I'm a tax collector. Not really into hospitality, just into ripping people off. Um, haven't got enough plates, actually, for us all to eat, so we might need to swing by somewhere to pick some stuff up. Next thing we read, they're in Matthew's house. Remarkable how he's followed Christ and he's gone from greed to generosity. Isn't that remarkable? In the space of a verse... He's gone from greed to generosity. He's flipped. He's changed. 
already in following Christ. I don't know about you, but the moment I met Jesus, it changed my life. Now, I know I'm not perfect. There's lots of people that can testify to that. And this side of eternity, I'm not going to be. But I think the way that we go, what is our trajectory with Jesus? Are we better men and women than we were previously? Have I gone? Have I navigated greed to generosity? Or if not, am I on that journey? Etc., etc., etc. But in the life of Matthew, a tax collector, it's quite a remarkable difference, really, isn't it? Because I don't know if you host people, you have people around, it costs you a bit of money, doesn't it? Put food on the table, especially if it's fancy food. You want to do it nice, you want to do it well. It costs you. And that's what Matthew's doing here. And more than just having Jesus and his disciples round, so we're already at a few people coming round, it's a bit of a party, we read that many tax collectors and sinners came. Sounds like a bit of a rave, doesn't it? Sounds like a bit of a party. It's not the kind of party that the Pharisees would be going to. And yet there's Jesus in the middle of it. The tax collectors and the sinners. When it says sinners there, he's kind of summing up stereotypical, really obvious sin that people can see. So when it says, oh, and the sinners were there, it's not, he's not talking about self-righteousness or pride, which are huge things, but he's saying the prostitute. Really obvious that she's a sinner in the eyes of the general public. She's at the party. They're tax collectors. Everyone knows they're thieving. The guy who beats up people, he's there. All the obvious kind of things that we know are wrong, they're the people that Matthew's invited to his house to have lunch with Jesus. That's the crowd. And that's why they throw him in all together. Verse 11, we read that the Pharisees, the religious leaders, have noticed that Jesus isn't hanging out with them. They're not very happy. I know my Bible, Jesus. Why aren't you hanging out with me? Why are you with those guys? You should be spending time with me. I'm the one who's worked really hard since I was four years old to learn all the scriptures. I can memorize them, Jesus. But that, you know what that tax collector's like? You know what she's like, don't you? Why, why, Jesus, are you there? And they actually asked the disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? It's a really good question, isn't it? And you, you see the motivation for the question, but it's a good question to ask because it helps us to think about, well, what is going on here? What's happening? Why is Jesus doing this? Why is he eating with these people? What's the point? What's he trying to do? What's he trying to say? And I think one of the things here we see is alongside this, uh, the greed to generosity thing, is later we read a, a quote from Hosea 6.6 6 about a desire mercy, not sacrifice, that we see here, actually, that Matthew's transformation has, has led to a transformation of a whole community that were created to uh, be with one another, that because grace has been shown to Matthew, Matthew shows grace. Because generosity has been shown to Matthew, generosity gets shown, which flies in the face of what the Pharisees and the religious leaders are doing. See, I think what Jesus is doing here is saying, look, this is what the gospel does. This is what I'm here for. This is how I save. And I want you to see it first hand. Matthew's mates come to town. And I want to say this. Jesus loves a party. I'll let that sink in. He likes to party. Not maybe how you would think. 
but he likes to have a party. That's what's going on here. And sometimes we use that as a, Jesus used to hang out with sinners, so therefore it's okay that I do this. It's okay that I go out on a Friday night and get hammered, because Jesus loves to party. He turned water into wine. It's okay. No, it's not. Jesus is there with the sinners, but is Jesus sinning? No. He's with the sinners, but he's not compromised. In fact, he's influencing them. All too often, we let the world shape us with our language, with the things we say, the things we do, what we think is morally acceptable. I don't care what the world says. I care what the word of God says. What does God say is right? Not what Theresa May says or flipping heck America. Oh, my days. Trump or what's her face? Oh, dear. Listen, I'm glad I'm not American. That's all I've got to say on that. I don't get into politics. I'm just glad I don't have that choice to make. But Jesus here is, this isn't an excuse to just get away with whatever we want. But actually, Jesus is making a point. It's not be conformed by the world, but actually shape the culture that you're in. Jesus is hanging out with sinners, but he's not sinning. In fact, we read that Jesus is using it as an evangelistic opportunity. He's using it as a teaching point. He's using it as, actually, I can share the good news with these guys. I can eat with them. They need to hear this. They need to hear about mercy. And let me just say this, because I've mentioned alcohol, um, and maybe it's a bit of a taboo subject for many of us, um, with what we think about alcohol. Um, but the Bible doesn't forbid us from drinking it. You, you'd really struggle to make a biblical case for being teetotal. But it does forbid drunkenness and being tipsy and being out of control. Paul says, don't let it control you, rather be filled with God the Holy Spirit. So my own thing with alcohol is this. I think you are free to have it as long as you are also free not to. If alcohol rules you and you have to have a glass of wine, even though the person who's come over for dinner is teetotal, that's a problem. You're free to have it, but also you've got to be free to not have it. You've got to be able to say, I don't need that. Or if someone comes round, it's inappropriate if they're an alcoholic to serve, you know, alcoholic communion. It might not be the best move. We've got to be free to not have it. It's what we read in Romans 14. That we just, we've got to honor the Lord. It's not a problem even here, hanging out with your non-Christian mates. In fact, Jesus is encouraging it. Hanging out with people that don't know the Lord. As long as that culture doesn't compromise your walk with him. That's the line we've got to walk. That's the difficulty. That's why we walk the narrow path, not the wide path. Jesus here, Jesus' angle here is, I want to relate to these people. I want to know them. I want them to know I love them. I want them to know that they're cared for. They're not just judged from afar. Look at those sinners. But they're loved. They're valuable. They're important. That's why he's there. Maybe it gives the opportunity to knock down all the straw men arguments. Oh, Christians are so stereotypical and judgmental. Here's Jesus eating with tax collectors and sinners. 
Here's Jesus hanging out with the very people that might be critical of what's going on. And I think it's important that they're having dinner. Food is good, right? I mean, British food is great. Okay? Don't ever think, well, so good, so much flavor. It's really good. You get tired of rice. <laughs> if that's all you end up eating. But it's good. But the encouragement here is eat with one another. Relate to one another. You do when you have food, don't you? In a better way than if you don't have food. And who needs to eat? Everybody. So there's already some commonality. The tax collectors and sinners, they need to eat as well. You might think you've got nothing in common with them. You have. They enjoy a good steak as much as the next vegetarian. <laughs> Possibly. And the encouragement here is to eat with one another. And actually, eat with strangers. That's what hospitality means. Hospitality is showing love and generosity towards the stranger. It's not just eating with people that are just like you, but eating with different spheres of people. And I tell you, when you do, you have opportunities to share the good news of Jesus in ways that you don't have if we just stand at a distance from people. Actually, it knocks down walls, it enables us to relate to people. And I had this thought, uh, thinking about mission and thinking about that Matthew invites all these people into his home. Is It's great having a home, isn't it? It's great having a roof over our head and uh, running water and uh, a toilet and a shower that actually water falls out of and all these really great things. But what do we use it for? How worthwhile is our home if actually we never open it up to people? What value do we place on hospitality and opening up our homes to people? People in church, people outside of church, hosting people constantly, consistently. I think it's really important. And let me just put this to you because I think we're creative for community and to engage with one another. If maybe you're thinking, oh, I can't do that, I've not got time to do that, you have got time to do it. You've just got to recalibrate and reprioritize. It doesn't matter if there's mud on your carpet. It doesn't matter if someone draws pen all over your nice table or winds up your neighbours by parking in their space or pours coke all over your settee, whatever. It's just stuff. What's more important? Relating to people. Having community with people, showing them the love and the grace of God by interacting with them, not keeping them at arm's length. Jesus is eating with the tax collectors and sinners. Who in our society are the tax collectors and sinners? Who are the people that you think, oh, I don't want to hang out with them? They're the people to invite to your own. Shock horror. They're the people we're to be ministering to. And yes, that's hard. And maybe we're not all fired up evangelists like Joe. So what we do is we invite those people round and Joe round. You're going to get loads of invites for food now, mate. Just done you a favor. I want you to see that Jesus never does anything for the sake of it. He always has a purpose and a reason. And he's eating with these people for a reason. He's not just waiting and saying, I'll eat with you guys once you've cleaned yourself up a little bit. Once you're a bit more like me, then we can eat together. We do that, don't we? I'll just wait until they're a bit more like I am. And then we'll start to, you know, hang out. Jesus says, well, in your muck, in your dirt, with your life like this, 
come to me. I want to be with you. I want to know you. I love you. I, I love the picture of the prodigal son. And, it, and he's, he's coming back to his father and his father runs out to him and, and the son's been with the pigs and he's probably covered in mud and dirt and rubbish from the pigs and his father embraces him. That's what Jesus does. That's what he wants to do to embrace us. No matter what dirt and rubbish that we're carrying with us, that we're welcome home to put our trust in Christ. And I think we have to have, when it comes to our home, a kingdom mentality. You do not take your house with you into glory. It doesn't go with you. You leave it behind. It's just stuff. Let's use it for God. Amen? Even if that's a bit uncomfortable, even if that's hard, even if that costs us, that's what discipleship looks like. And we've got to stop this notion, church, that we think people are going to just turn up on a Sunday. They're not. People just don't rock up on Sundays now. They might come if there's that initial relationship. But I tell you, people will come to your house, especially if you offer them food. Won't they? They will. They will come, especially if the food is good. That's another thing. Do it well. Then they'll come back again. Then you'll have more opportunities. Do it well. Have fun. Love having people over because we're created for community. It's what we read here that Matthew and has invited all these people around and Jesus is with them in the midst of the mess is with them eating with them in order to break down barriers in order to share the love of God with those people remember the question in verse 11 why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners 12 and 13 give us the answer that Jesus responds with and we've learned so far, I think, about being a disciple of Jesus that first we've got to follow after him. I know that seems like a given, but really, in our culture in the UK, it's not. <laughs> it's not at all. We've got to follow Jesus. We've got to keep our eyes on him day in, day out. Secondly, we're created to be in community with one another, to be connected with one another, to be in each other's lives and to be in the lives of the, our neighbors and show the love of God to them. It might be you want to start your own group. Yeah, I'm just going to start my own thing. I'm going to invite all my neighbors around. Every week. We're just going to eat together. Praise the Lord. What an amazing idea that would be. I'm happy for you to steal it. As many of you as possible. Because we're connecting with people. And the third thing that I think we read, and this is really important, is repent a lot. I want to say kind of repent, 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 and keep it going, you know, forever. Almost is what we're reading here. When Jesus is talking, when Jesus heard it said, this is what he says, those who are well have no need of a physician or doctor, but those who are sick, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Jesus is hanging out with all the people the Pharisees shouldn't, the tax collectors, the drug dealers, the prostitutes, the proud, the sexually immoral, the benefit fraud, the guy who pushes in line in front of you at Morrison's, all those people. Yeah, got a laugh there, that's good. All those people are with Jesus. And the Pharisees say, why are you eating with tax collectors and sinners? I want you to notice something. Jesus doesn't deny that they are. He doesn't say, no, no, you've got that wrong. These people are lovely and really nice and they're not sinful at all. He goes, yeah, they're sinners. You got that right, Pharisees. Well done, but so are you. That's what they've missed. They're saying, oh, look at those sinners. 
And Jesus says, yeah, look at those sinners. You as well. It's a description of us all here. Sinful, rebellious, full of malice. But this is the good news of Jesus that he shares here, that God came for sinners. That's what Jesus says there. So if you're not a sinner, he hasn't come for you. Gutted. Think I'm happy to be a sinner. In that sense, Jesus has come for me. The point he's making is this. He's come for those that know they're sinful. Those that are self-righteous, those that are full of pride, those that don't think they need a saviour. They've had it. He's come for those who are sinners, which is a description of us all, but it's whether we realise that or not. I asked this question of many of the pastors in Africa. I said, who here is perfect? And one guy put his hand up. I think he misunderstood the question. He put his hand down very quickly. If I was to ask that question this morning, who here is perfect? Nobody was brave enough (laughs) just to try and wind me up. None of us. That's good. It's good that we realize that. It's good that we realize we all fall short, actually, of the standard that God sets. That's Romans 3. You see, the gospel is for people that know they're broken. The gospel is for people that know they need rescuing. That Jesus comes and says, follow me. Like he does to Matthew, the broken tax collector. Sure, he had money. Sure, he had fame, maybe a little bit. People knew who he was. But there was something within him that realized he needed rescuing. He needed a savior. And Jesus comes to us all and says, well, follow me. But to follow me, you've got to put your trust in me. You've got to turn around. You've got to say no to the world and this way of living and repent of your sin, of your hatred of God, of your rebellion towards him. That's why I said this third kind of thing, what marks a disciple is someone who is quick to repent, who repents, who again goes, God, you know what? I have messed up again. I have fallen short again. And it's a description of me as well as you. I love this illustration Jesus says. Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. You know, if you saw a doctor in a crowd of sick people, what would you think? You'd be like, well, that's where that doctor needs to be. That doctor's doing a brilliant job. That doctor's with the people that need him the most. That's what Jesus says. That's why I'm with the tax collectors and the sinners. I'm not with the the well, those that think they're all right. Why would they go to the doctor? They're fine. No, but those that are broken and sick and need help, that's where Jesus is. That's who he's with. How would the sinner ever be saved if the Savior didn't come after them? We wouldn't. Matthew was just sat on his bum. Jesus goes up to him and says, follow me. And it transforms his life. This group of people, how are they ever going to hear the good news of Jesus unless it's shared with them? What better way of doing that than having them in your home and eating with them? Which is what Jesus does here. And he draws them and says, well, this is this free gift of life. 
You see, the Pharisees have just misunderstood the seriousness of their offense towards God. And I think we do that, don't we? We think we're all right. We're like, yeah, everything's great. Go about life in this way. We misunderstand the seriousness of our offense towards God. It costs Jesus his life. That's huge, isn't it? Right? You're looking at me blankly, thinking, I'm sure I've read that in the Bible. (laughs) Really serious is our offense towards God, which makes the grace of God even more spectacular. That as far as from the east is to the west, and the depths and the heights, nothing. The love of God is greater than all those things. There's some good news, I think, though. That actually, it's good that we all realize that we're in that category together. But it actually means we can put our trust in someone who can save us. Jesus Christ. I wrote this uh, many years ago and I found it uh, this morning. Many of us don't carry with us a deep appreciation for grace because we don't carry with us a deep sadness for our sin. We maybe don't appreciate what God's done for us because we don't think our offense towards him is all that serious. We minimize grace. And you know what? We end up minimizing his work upon the cross, his death and his resurrection for us. It should drive us to the cross time and again. It should drive us to repentance. Maybe we're here this morning and we've never done that. We say we're a Christian, but we actually haven't said, God, you know what? I'm a sinner and I need your grace because I want a, I want a new life. I want that life that's talked about in John 10.10 10 that says, I've come that they may have life and have it abundantly. I want that. I want that. I want my life different. I want to be transformed. I don't want to be greedy anymore. I want to be generous. We have to turn around. And this morning is the best opportunity you have to do that. And it's a message for every single one of us. Jesus even tells us what he's after from us. He says, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. And it's a quote from Hosea 6.6. And Hosea, uh, in those times, the people were insincere in their repentance. They were saying, oh, I'm sorry, God, yeah. But they, it was just a facade. It was just a mask. Their hearts were hard. They were still full of hatred. They weren't full of love for people. This is the quote from Hosea 6.6. I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice, the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. What he's saying there is he wants genuine repentance. He's not interested in whether we're going to burn a goat and offer it to the Lord. I mean, if you're doing that, you've misunderstood the kind of text a little bit. He's not bothered whether we're keeping the festivals. And There's some people that do that. They just need to read this passage here from Jesus. He's not interested in that. He wants our hearts. And he wants our hearts transformed. He wants mercy. Why would we show mercy? Because mercy's been shown to us. Why would we be full of grace towards people? Because God's been gracious to us. Why would we love if we hadn't been loved first? That's the beauty of this good news. That actually, with authentic turning around back to Jesus... We can be saved. And actually, we can take that good news and let it break out from this place. The church was never meant to be a bunch of holy huddles. It wasn't. It was never meant to be. We're set in our ways. We do this because we've always done it. Remember my uncle telling me a story of their church many years ago. And they put on this Christmas dinner for the community. But nobody from the community ever came. 
it was just a bit of a knees up for the church, and it was great. But he asked in a, a leadership meeting, he said, why are we doing this? The response, because it's what we've always done. Oh, rhubarb. That's rubbish, isn't it? That's not good enough. <laughs> we don't want to just get into that stage where it's all about tradition, and all about the things that we do, and we have these holy huddles. It's about taking the grace and the mercy of God into a world. Jesus went out to Matthew, the least expected. Not to the Pharisees and the people that were all right, but to Matthew. I said, follow me. That's our job. That's what we're to do. To take the grace and the mercy and the love of God out from this place. Because they're not going to come to us. We realize that, don't we? We do realize that. <laughs> We've got to go to them. That's the gospel. The gospel is missional. It's outward looking. It looks at the world and says, impact it. We've sung about it this morning. Shining lights in the darkness. You just read through the New Testament time and time again. It's that imagery of you were once in darkness, but now you're in marvelous light. And Peter says so that you can share the excellencies of, those, of, of him who saved you. That we have a mission, a purpose in sharing the mercy of God. So my question this morning is, have we responded to the invitation of Christ to follow him? Have we said, you know what, Dan, you've described me this morning. Maybe I've, I've, I haven't wanted to admit my fault because, well, that's what we're like, isn't it? And we're all like that. Naturally, we all want to be the best we can be. We don't like to say we get things wrong because we consider it to be weakness. Maybe we're dominated by anger issues. Or we like one too many glasses of white wine. Maybe we're busted. We're broken. We're hurting. The good news is every single one of us is like that. That's the good news. And that we have a saviour who's come for every single one of us. No matter how far gone we might feel we are, Jesus is hanging out with the tax collectors and the sinners. Those that we think are far from the grace of God. And the good news is we can be healed. We can be made new. We can be given a fresh start. Our sin washed away forever. We get that, right? Forever. Our new life starts now. The moment we put our trust in Jesus, it changes something. We become a son of God, a child of God. It's amazing. There's nothing like it. It should transform your world. Because your sin is washed away forever because of Jesus. Because of Jesus. This morning isn't a call to religious practice and religious law. It's a call to relationship with God. It's a call to follow him, to do that in community, to invite your world to hear from Christ. And in that, we're constantly repenting. You know, often we make the mistake that we think the gospel, the good news of Jesus is just that one moment, you know, where we make a decision for Christ and that's it. I tell you, it's each and every single day. It's not just the entry point to the kingdom of God, but it's it's what happens each and every single day. That we're turning around that we're putting our trust in him again, that we're setting our eyes upon him again. That's the challenge. That's what it means to be a disciple. And I think that's why Matthew's put it here. It's just a reminder that actually we can follow Christ. We can have our world turned upside down. And the things that hold us and the things that grieve us and the things that hurt us and bust us up, we can find forgiveness for in Jesus Christ.